I'm a huge believer in something called the generation effect. If you want to learn something, you need to create your own version of it. You can't just read it or copy and paste your notes. It's really important to reformulate things in your own way. This is also why if you're trying to learn how to code, it's very important to build your own project rather than just following tutorials mindlessly without trying to do your own thing. Hi everyone, I'm happy to bring you a new episode today of the Leap Takers podcast where I'm interviewing up-and-coming European entrepreneurs, investors and shapers from various fields to retrace the journey of how they started their own company and discover the insights, tips, tricks and advice they gathered so that you too can take the leap. My guest today is Anne-Laure Lecoeuf. She is the founder of Nest Labs, an award-winning venture studio building products that focus on mindful productivity, wellness, creativity and culture. Her newsletter features practical content at the intersection of neuroscience and entrepreneurship and is read every week by thousands. She's an ex-Googler, MSc of Applied Neuroscience candidate at King's College and her work has been featured in Wired, Forbes, Financial Times, Rolling Stone and more. She's a super nice person and her life sounds absolutely fascinating. You will hear the origin story of Nest Labs, we can discuss time anxiety and you hear Anne-Laure's advice for anyone that wants to start a content community. I found this episode incredibly interesting and I hope you enjoy it as well. Hello, Anne-Laure. Welcome to the Leaf Takers podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, very happy you could join. And as always with my guests, I first would be really curious to just get a personal intro from you. How would you introduce yourself to someone you just met maybe at a cocktail party? That's nice. I would probably avoid talking about work at a cocktail party, but <laughs> that was that kind of professional party, I would mention that I'm the founder of Nest Labs, which is a platform where I help knowledge workers make the most of their minds by using content that is based on neuroscience. And everything at Nest Labs, I build and write based on what I'm studying at university, where I'm a part-time student studying neuroscience at King's College in London. And in the past life, I used to work at Google on the digital health team. I also read on your site that you have a very interesting personal background as well and grew up in a lot of different places. Could you walk us through how you got where you are right now in, in London? Yeah, I, I have traveled quite a lot, I think, in my life. I've never really been an, like what they call a nomad, but I, I worked and lived obviously in France. That's where I'm from. I'm currently based in London. Before that, I worked in New York, where I was selling French wine, which was not particularly good to New Yorkers. <laughs> I, I also studied in, in Tokyo, Japan, and I, I lived in San Francisco, as I mentioned earlier, when I was working at Google there. So I have traveled quite a bit. And yeah, I landed in, in London because I think I really enjoy how multicultural the city is how entrepreneurial it is as well. It's very easy here to start a company where I'm from back in France. It would take months just to do the paperwork. Whereas in London, you can just fill a form and in three hours, you have your limited company that is registered. And I really love how practical they are here when it comes to everything that comes to business. So this is how I kind of like moved around and landed in, in London in terms of exploring the world and finding a place to stay for now at least and in terms of interests and what I'm currently working on 
it also hasn't really been a straight line type of journey. I started with studying marketing and this is what I worked on at Google, first on B2B marketing, then on the digital health team. And, and I went back to university in 2018 to study for my master's in neuroscience. So that's been a little bit of a 360 kind of change in my work. And uh, yeah, we can talk a little bit more about it later if you want to, but I have always been interested in how the mind works, but I only started a couple of years ago studying it formally. Yeah, I, I was really curious to learn more about how you got interested in the human mind and, and in technology as a whole. Was there any you know, experience or books or something that woke your interest in the topic? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the very first time I was confronted to the power of the, the, the brain and the mind in general, which can be quite destructive, is that I had several people in my family who were suffering from various addictions and depression and other mental health problems. So from a pretty young age, I was confronted with this reality. And then at work when I was at Google and, and then when you know, I worked on my own projects. I went through burnout myself a couple of times. And uh, this is something that before I experienced it myself, I thought would only happen to other people. I thought it was a productivity management problem, like purely something that if you're able to manage your workload properly, that would not happen to you. But actually, there are lots of mental health roots to burnouts that are not only about how to manage your calendar, etc. So that was another time where I was confronted to the, the power of the mind. And then in terms of, of books, I read a book in 2018, which has been really influential, which is called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, and which is all about the chemistry of the brain and psychedelics and lots of interesting research from the 70s to today. And it made me realize how little we know about how the brain works, how the mind works, and how we're always talking about exploring space or exploring the infinitely small. And we don't talk as much about exploring the brain, but the brain really is also one of the next frontiers. So all of this combined and all of my observations about life and behavior around me and my own personal experiences made me decide to take the leap and decide to study this a bit more formally. Yeah, that really makes sense, I think, given your experience. And it's funny that you mentioned the book of Michael Pollan. It was just last week and I was talking with a friend about it. I haven't read it yet, but it was recommended to me by a, a group of people. So I'm really interested to, to read that as well once. So what you said so far, it really highlights well your interest in the human mind. And this leads me then also to your main project now, which is Nest Labs. Could you tell the audience what Nest Labs is and who it is for? Yeah, so Nest Labs is really built around the concept of mindful productivity. There are lots of productivity gurus out there, what I call productivity porn. Basically, people selling you the idea that you can do more by working more and that if you don't wake up at 5 a.m., every morning and you have meditated and went for a run and had uh, a like smoothie that you made yourself by 6 a.m. and also went to the gym, sorted out your calendar, and if you're not able to work until 10 p.m. and still feel fresh the morning after and starting the, this whole cycle again, something is broken in your productivity routine and you're not doing it well. 
and obviously then they they have solutions to sell you in the form of very expensive courses most of the time and this you know all of this goes completely against how everything that comes from science and research and that shows that we are not machines in fact there's actually research showing that the number of the ideal number of hours that you should work a day on actual creative stuff uh, where you need to be really focused and feeling creative is probably around four hours a day and so mindful productivity is really about maximizing that and figuring out how to work and how to live and how to find that balance so you can really make the most of your mind and you can do your best work without sacrificing your mental health and in order to help people achieve this I publish articles every week that are based on stuff that I study at university. They're all based on neuroscience, but they're also very practical. So I try to avoid complicated jargon and I really try to make it as actionable and easy to understand as possible. So people can take all of this information and apply it in their daily life and work. So to summarize, I would say it's a source for people to really increase their productivity in, in this four-hour window that you mentioned is that yeah, true it's about maximizing how much you can do in those four hours but i also write a lot about what happens outside of those four hours and this is also something that i have found myself missing in other resources that i looked at when i went through burnout and when i was struggling with my own productivity a lot of them focus 100 percent on the work part where really it's not how the mind works. We can't just work and turn it on and turn it off and we're not a computer basically. So a lot of the stuff that you do outside of your work hours has a massive impact on your productivity, your creativity and your mental wellness. So I also write about stuff like journaling and self-reflection and sleep and all of those important tools that you can use to make sure that you're your most productive and creative self. And who would you say are your readers or like what type of people are they entrepreneurs? Are they, you know, coders or what are the type of people you think that are mainly your readership? Yeah, my, my readership is made of people whose brain is their main tool for work, basically. <laughs> so it's very important for them to make the, the most of their mind. Uh, so that's why I mentioned knowledge workers, which is a big kind of umbrella term, but I do have entrepreneurs, developers, designers, writers, all sorts of creatives. But these people, everyone who's reading Nest Labs and who's part of the community are people who value the, you know, their creative output a lot and who are looking for ways to optimize it. I'm always very curious in this podcast to find out about the origin story of the projects of the people on the podcast. So I would be, you know, very interested to learn how you really got started with Nest Labs. Was this something you started on the side while you were still working at Google or did you just start full time on this? Yeah, so actually Nest Labs was not my first project after I left Google. I initially left Google to work on a startup in the also in the wellness space, but that was focused on nutrition. And I did that for a year and a half and we broke up with my co-founder. And I went through a very difficult period where I really didn't know what to do. I had identified so much with this startup that I felt lost when, you know, you will hear some founders who had a failed startup say that it kind of feels like losing your baby basically because this is what it is you pour so much time and energy in this project and you really believe in it 
And when it fails, which is the case for lots of startups, it's very hard to figure out what you want to do next. So that's what happened to me in 2018, where the startup failed and I didn't know what to do next. And I decided to go back to the drawing board and figure out what is something that I've always been interested in, that I always come back to, whether in work or whether in my personal time when I want to learn about stuff. What is the thing that I'm so curious about that I could work on for a few years and know that it could keep me excited? And that was how the mind and the brain works. So I decided to go back to university. And I'm a huge believer in something called the generation effect. If you want to learn something, you need to create your own version of it. You can't just read it or copy and paste your notes. It's really important to reformulate things in your own way. This is also why if you're learning, trying to learn how to code, it's very important to build your own project rather than just following tutorials mindlessly without trying to do your own thing. So based on the importance of the generation effect, I decided to launch a blog last summer. So that was summer 2019. Mm. That was a year ago. Actually, next week, it's going to be exactly one year that I launched the, the Nest Labs blog and newsletter. And every week, I would write a few articles based on everything I learned. It was an amazing way for me to figure out if I had really understood the material or not. And it was also very fun to try and figure out what are some real life applications of the research that I was reading? Is there a way that it could be helpful to people like myself, to entrepreneurs and knowledge workers? So Nest Labs really started as a blog and newsletter for a student, for myself, to reinforce what I was studying. And I was you know, to my surprise, lots of people got interested very quickly. I got my first few thousand subscribers in the span of a couple of months. And this is where I was like, okay, there's something here. Apparently, I'm not the only one asking myself these questions. And this could be helpful to a lot more people. So mm -hmm. I decided to focus on Nest Labs as a full-time business on the side of my studies. So right now, I'm splitting my time between Nest Labs and between doing my studies. Yeah, there, there's a lot of questions I would be really interested to go deeper into. Maybe before we go there, I, I would like to take one step back. And if you don't mind, talk about your first startup experience after Google and why it didn't work out with your co-founder. I, I also saw that you were an entrepreneur first. Could you tell us if there was something that you would say that I would have done that different, that it works out better with your co-founder or how you can minimize the risk that it doesn't work out with your co-founder in the beginning? Absolutely. I, I think the, the biggest mistake I've made with my first startup was to try and do everything by the book. I was a bit younger and uh, I probably had read too many articles on TechCrunch, too many entrepreneurship porn, the same as productivity porn, like basically people telling you that there's a recipe that you can use and apply and then it will work. And so I had read everywhere, you need a co-founder. Lots of investors saying, if you don't have a co-founder, I'm not going to invest. And lots of people saying it's absolutely essential. You can't be even sure that your idea is good and that you're going towards something called product market fit if you don't have a co-founder. So I was like, okay, I need a co-founder. And I co-founded my first startup with someone that I really didn't know that well. And um, on paper, you know, just to tell you like how, like to me, it does feel ridiculous today. But at the time, I really thought that was the way to go about it. We even did a questionnaire 
to see how compatible we were. And we did all of the meetings and we went through all of the questions, like the founders dating questions that you're supposed to go through. And uh, at the end we're like, okay, seems like we're pretty compatible and uh, you, we have the right skill sets. You know, I'm competing you and you're competing me in terms of skill set. This is perfect. And obviously it was not this, you need much more than that. You need much more than paper compatibility to work with someone on something as hard as a startup. So the things I learned that I would recommend to people who want to do a startup is first, don't think that there's a magic formula that you can apply and don't think that because an entrepreneur writes online about what worked for them, you can just take that and apply it to your own situation. Second, believe your intuition. Even if everyone is telling you that you need a co-founder or everyone is telling you that this is the formula that you should follow, if you feel like that's wrong and that's not the right thing for your own business, then listen to yourself because very you know more about your business than all of these other people. So it's very important. And the third one would be if you start feeling like something is wrong, don't wait for too long. Don't bury your head in the sand. In my case, I felt like it was not working probably pretty early in the journey, but I thought that, you know, I'm someone who likes fixing stuff and making it work. And that if I worked hard enough, it would work out. So that's something that I think I could have wasted way less time if I had just listened to myself from the beginning and realized that that was not working. Yeah, that makes sense. I fully agree with you. I also had one startup that I started like two and a half years ago. And I also, in the end, I started it by myself because I also thought that maybe I need a co-founder. But in the end, I was like, I think I can just do it by myself. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Maybe you should listen to yourself and also what your gut tells you. To come back to Nest Labs, you mentioned that you pretty quickly got to a few thousand subscribers. And I also find it quite remarkable that, you know, you did it for yourself to reinforce the learnings that you got from your studies. And that's also what I kind of hear out of some other podcasts and guests that they often start something because it fixes one of their own issues or problems or something that they want to you know improve or learn i was really wondering how did you grow the business or the writing to thousands of people because it's also something that i'm very curious about how can you scale up from let's say your first hundred or so listeners which maybe are out of your friends etc to a wider audience did you follow any tactics or did you use any special tools to do that or how do you think that happened i think one of the main strategies that i've applied have been really helpful for me in terms of growing my audience beyond those first few friends is to work in publics i'm very public and open in the way i work you know the expression working with the garage door open i definitely do this for everything i share my process i share my progress i ask questions and i think it's a bit like me and my workshop trying to figure out how to build this thing and uh, breaking stuff sometimes and then trying again and learning from it and sharing all of this. And I think because of this, I've had quite a few people who became really engaged and interested in my journey and invested in this journey. And so they've been amazing ambassadors sharing my content with other people in their circle. And I think once you start getting at that stage where people you initially didn't know start sharing your content without you asking them to do it you get this virtuous cycle where this just growth 
happening without you having to push it too hard. But before you get to that kind of like velocity level where you don't need to manually share stuff all the time, there's a few places where you can like what I did is that I shared every single article that I wrote on different channels where I knew my audience was hanging out. So at the very beginning, I was always sharing my articles on Hacker News, on Indie Hackers, on Twitter, in some Slack channels for entrepreneurs, etc. And I got lots of my initial growth from there. And nowadays, I don't really do it as much because I don't really need to. And uh, I get a healthy growth just from the existing audience that is sharing it with other people. And when you say working with the garage door open and talking very openly about it, are there any, you know, specific examples that come to mind? Maybe some groups or something that you attended or, or what, what was it in your case? So yeah, I, for example, I was very new to newsletters and how they work, what are the best practice, etc. So I just created a Telegram group for myself to have a community of people I can talk with and ask questions to. And now there are more than 300 people in there. So I can ask questions and we're all building our newsletters together. And I tend to do that a lot when I become curious about a topic. I just create a small Telegram group. Some of them are still very small. Some of them have become bigger. But I think it's uh, it's really nice to create a small community around your interests so you can ask questions to like-minded people. And everyone is in a, at a different stage in their journey. So I love that I can help someone in the group who maybe only has 500 subscribers or 1,000 subscribers, and I can get help from someone who has 25,000 subscribers who's in the group. And this is this nice kind of paying it forward dynamic mm. in these groups. So that's one example of how I'm working with the garage door open. And when you think back now, since you launched Nest Labs almost a year ago, are there any very memorable moments that come to mind like that you thought okay that's really cool like maybe someone that gave you great feedback about your writing or something that was very helpful to you or a very good learning moment yeah one of my highlights is one when we had Varsha who was an intern at Nest Labs and so she's based in in India and she needed work experience to be able to come to the UK or at least apply to universities in the UK to study neuroscience. So, and she was really struggling to find remote work being based in India. So we hired her as an intern and she did an amazing job. She worked on a very long research-based report on cognitive biases in entrepreneurship. And she was such a joy to work with. And when I got her email a couple of months ago saying that she got accepted in three top universities in the UK that now she only needed to make her choice and that working at Nest Labs was part of the reason why probably her application was so strong. That made me so happy because I really felt like that was having a massive impact on someone's life. So that's probably my best memory. Yeah, that's amazing. That's very cool. And you mentioned also, you know, remote working before there. So I read that Nest Labs, you work fully distributed. Was this part of your plan from the beginning? And I know you're studying also on the side, so I, I assume you're most of the time in London. But still, how do you feel about remote work? And was this part of the plan to build up this as, as a remote company? I didn't even think about building it as a company in the very beginning. But uh, yes, as soon as I realized that I actually needed to work with other people for some of the projects that I'm working on, I decided to make it fully remote and distributed. 
I think that to me, it's, it's one of the biggest forms of freedom to be able to go wherever I want to, whenever I want to. If I want to go and visit my family, obviously lately it's been a bit complicated, but in general, if I want to go and visit my family, I can do that whenever I want to. I can work from different countries. I can go and see friends. I can go on the holidays. Like, you know, I love that, you know, last year I went uh, on holidays in Costa Rica and I still had meetings there that I really needed to have and that was completely fine and that was not a blocker to be able to go with my friend on this road trip so for me it's really it's freedom and I also think that working with other people this way just makes it much more calm and nice to work with because you're never expecting people to reply to you straight away it's completely asynchronous which is amazing it's not stressful you know, we never use the, like the live chat or anything like this. It's always about sending information and receiving an answer whenever the person is ready, which I think is much more fitting for the kind of company that I'm building where I think it's very important work that we're doing, but we're not surgeons. There's no one on the operating table that's going to die right now if you don't get an answer right at the minute. So I think it's more fitting to have this calm, asynchronous, slow type of communication and uh, that you can do from anywhere and where it doesn't really matter if we're co-located in the same city you could be in Costa Rica wherever you want to be right now as long as you're enjoying your job I'm sure it's going to be fine yeah fully agree with you there and I, I, I think the future is going to be independent of the whole COVID situation that I think more companies and more people especially maybe in our generation they're really favor remote working to just a standard office type of job when you have to go into the office every day and they embrace more this flexibility and freedom yeah to work from anywhere so i really like that you're doing that that's very cool so i thought that could be a good point to go into some of your writing that you did with nest labs so I, I read a couple of your articles but i think one that i really liked was called time anxiety is it too late could you explain to the audience you know, what time anxiety is and your message of this article. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you're mentioning this one because it's actually one of my most popular ones, like literally top two or top three oh, articles. Wow. And okay. I, I wrote more than 200 articles. So I think <laughs> very interesting that that's the one that resonated most with you. And I think it is because it's actually quite common, but very few people had a word to put on it. And that was the same for me. This when I read, I started reading about time anxiety. I had this realization that that was exactly what I was suffering from, and I said, "How come I've never heard about this before?" So basically, time anxiety is this kind of like feeling that never really leaves you. That it's too late. That um, there's not enough time. It's too late to learn a new language. It's too late to learn a new instrument. It's too late to start a company. It's too late to write a book it's too late to start a meaningful project in your life and i think a lot of the reasons why people nowadays are suffering more from this than we used to is because through the internet we are exposed to all of these very young successful entrepreneurs and we feel like oh well if i didn't start this in my 20s that's too late basically and the reality is that it's never really too late you know, you could take a project off the ground very quickly or it could take a long time and that's completely okay. There's some very 
amazing writers and authors that took 20 years to write a book and who published it in their 70s. Also, you know, entrepreneurs that started much later and who were successful. And in any case, life is really about experiencing stuff that makes you feel good and curious and that makes it meaningful. And it doesn't necessarily matter how successful you're going to be if you're enjoying the journey. So this is really what time anxiety is about and, and how you probably want to try and, and shift your way of looking at time and at what spending your time meaningfully means for you. And are there some strategies that you would link that you can cope better with time anxiety or stuff people can do to counteract? You mentioned, yeah, it's not too late, but are there any practical tips of how to handle this? Yes. So it's about really shifting your mindset. So you realize that it's not necessarily, you know, I know it sounds like a cliche thing to say, but at its core, it's really about thinking about how it's not about the goal. It's about the journey, basically. And so there are a few practical ways you can go about helping you shift this mindset. The very first thing that is important to do, I think, is to define what time well spent means to you. And it's, uh, it's again, we tend to always think about the goal. So you'll have people training to run a marathon or studying to get a certificate. Defining time well spent is about taking a step back and asking yourself, what is stuff that I actually enjoy spending time on regardless of the outcome? So in the case of the marathon, it's asking yourself, do I actually enjoy running? Or is it just because I want to tell people that I finished a marathon? In, in terms of coding, for example, do I actually enjoy coding? Is it something that I can just sit down and do and whatever the outcome, it feels enjoyable? If I want to publish a book, do I actually enjoy the act of writing? So that's some you know, self-reflection work that you can do that would be the very first step and that will help you define what time well spent means. Once you have defined what time well spent means, that you have identified what are the things that you enjoy doing regardless of the outcome, it's about making space for these moments. And what's interesting is that we tend to block time for stuff that you want to do. And I'm a massive fan of time blocking. I use it all the time. But here it's really about making space. So it's not only about blocking the time for it, it's really about making the mental space for you to do this and being relaxed and being here and present so you can enjoy these moments. And the last thing is that is, I think, very anxiety inducing is the time we waste on social media where we're like scrolling on Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever. And lots of people report feeling extremely anxious and feeling more time anxiety when they just wasted two hours on TikTok or doing something like that. So I'm not saying that you should not spend time on social media because social media can be very helpful when it's used mindfully, but cutting out those time consuming distractions and the time spent mindlessly scrolling on social media can definitely help with time anxiety. Thank you very much for sharing this. And I think there will be a lot of people who get some value out of that. And if people want to read more about these types of articles, are there any that you know would recommend that are a good starting point to 
get started if they want to read more from your writing on Nest Labs? Yeah. So another one that's one of the top ones, and I can't remember if Time Anxiety is the first one and this one is the second one, but they're, they're very popular, both of them, and kind of related to that topic. So if that's the topic you're interested in, one of my most popular articles is Jomo, The Joy of Missing Out. And uh, you can find it at nestlabs.com slash Jomo, J-O-M-O. And so that's a good entry point. And then I spend a lot of time and put a lot of care in interlinking my articles together. So you can start here and just click on related articles and you'll probably find something else that's interesting to you. Cool. Great. I will also make sure to link these articles in the show notes so people can check it out there and have a look. So I was really curious, what are your key learnings so far? And then a bit of a look in the future, where do you see Nest Labs going? Yeah, in terms of key learnings, I would say that the, the main one is that consistency is key. I had no idea where Nest Labs would bring me, the opportunities I would have and how fast I would grow. But the fa- I, what I did is that I just kept on showing up. And, you know, every Thursday I sent the newsletter. Every week I wrote the articles and I posted about it on Twitter, etc. So it was really consistent work. And there were some weeks where I didn't necessarily have the same open rates for my newsletter or I didn't have as many people sharing it. And it could have felt a little bit depressing. But what was important is that week after week, the trend the growth was going up so i think it's very important to be consistent and uh, to not get too into the little details of the everyday fluctuations that you have when building a business just keep on showing up keep on doing things that you know are working and growth can be slow sometimes but that's completely fine don't have to necessarily build a super fast growing startup you can build a solid sustainable business that's just growing slowly and taking it one week at a time. So that's my biggest learning, consistency. And in terms of looking into the future, it's probably going to be similar to what the first year was like in the sense that I don't know. I have no idea. I really see Nest Labs as a place where I can experiment, which is why it's called Nest Labs. It's kind of a lab for me to try and launch new products and services and to co-build these with my audience, seeing what works and what doesn't, listening to your feedback and consistently making it better. So I will keep on experimenting and we will see where we are. We can catch up in one year and see (laughs) how this went. Yeah, yeah, I'm very curious to see where everything is going. We, We briefly chat before recording and you mentioned you also have a new project that is part of Nest Labs. Could you share something about that as well? Yes, that's the newest baby at Nest Labs. It's a private community for readers. We currently have about 400 people in it, and it has a forum. It has virtual meetups on Zoom where we talk about mindful productivity, creativity, and lots of different things. And it's full of entrepreneurs and engineers, creatives, etc., very interesting people lots of curious minds who love discussing these topics so it's a bit of a more intimate experience when it comes to you know going through nest labs content and having other people to talk about it so that's been going really well i'm very excited about it it's really nice also to go from just me broadcasting content to my readers to now having those two-way conversations because I'm, i'm learning even more from people which is great so yeah, that's, that's been really nice, launched about three months ago, 
And this is probably one of the things I'm most excited about at Nest Labs at the moment. Great. Good luck. And I hope a lot of people will check this out. And yeah, I always like to ask a few rapid fire questions. So first question would be, what is a book that has had a big personal impact on your life that you would recommend people to read? I'm just going to say it again, because that's how much I read like that book, but How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Everyone should read it. Great. Next question. What is the best personal investment that you did? It's not necessarily an investment of money. It can also be an investment of time, energy, or whatever. I usually don't answer this question using an investment of money, but in this case I will because it's been life-changing for me, but I invested in a laptop stand and a Bluetooth keyboard and my back is so much better. I was always telling people that I don't need these because I have such great posture. Turns out, no, my posture was terrible. So I, I think this is a really good investment and especially for people who are working remotely and who don't necessarily work physically in an office where their company have invested into a good chair or good equipment. I think this is something that is a great investment of money. It's just good for your health in general. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the, the name of your laptop stands if it comes to mind? No, it's a random one on Amazon. I really don't think that you need to spend a thousand dollars on this. Any laptop stand will already be a great improvement to no laptop stand. Mm, okay. Yeah, great. I, I think I could use one of those as well, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, you know, could go back in time and talk to your younger self, maybe your 20-year-old self, what kind of advice would you give your younger self? I would tell myself it's not too late. I was already suffering from time anxiety at the time. And I find it absolutely ridiculous, the number of projects I didn't start when I was 20 because I was telling myself, oh, no, this other entrepreneur started when they were 18. It's too late for me. So I luckily have made a lot of progress here. And now I just get started with anything that I find interesting. So if you're starting your career right now and you are working in an environment where you have lots of very talented people and you suffer from imposter syndrome because you think that you're too late to start a project or launch something that is a bit ambitious, don't listen to that voice listen to the voice of your older self who would tell you it's not too late you can start anything now there's still plenty of time and you can even you know the, the sooner you start the more different projects you'll get to work on during the course of your life so just start now it's not too late mm -hmm. yeah that's great advice so yeah, I usually ask my guests for the last question, something related to the name of the podcast. So what does courage mean to you personally? That's a good one. I think it's about having the courage to explore your curiosity and feeling like a scientist. It's really about realizing that everything you do in life is an experiment. And if it fails, that's completely fine. It just means that you have more information, more data that you can use for your next projects and your next experiments. So it's really about having the courage to explore your curiosity. Great. I think these were good closing words. So if people want to find more about you and Nest Labs, um, maybe you can just briefly tell them again where they can find you online. Absolutely. Just go to nestlabs.com. That's N-E-S-S-L-A-B-S.com, nestlabs.com. And there are links to my Twitter and all of this there. Perfect. Thank you so much, Anlor, for coming on the Leap Techers podcast. I really appreciate your time and hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.
All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You could do me a really big favor if you would just tell one of your friends about the Leap Takers podcast and recommend it. Or if you want to do even more, quickly head over to the iTunes or Apple podcast store and give the Leap Takers podcast a five-star rating. This would really help me to get more visible and that I'll be able to continuously bring on great guests to this show. Thank you so much. Also, if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, just shoot me a message. You can find all my contact info on leaptakers.com or you can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram where you can find me under Remo Keyboards or just follow the Leap Takers podcast directly in Instagram as well. So having said that, thanks again for listening and have a great week. Bye-bye.